0: part 5 book 2 of from the founding of the city volume 1 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org from the foundation of the city volume 1 by titus livius translated by george baker book 2 part 5 when the Aruncians were defeated the romans having vanquished so many different powers within the space of a few days, expected the fulfillment of the promises made them by the consuls, and strengthened by the engagements of the senate. But Appius, instigated both by his own natural haughtiness and a desire to undermine the credit of his colleague, issued decrees on suits between debtor and creditor, with all possible severity, in consequence of which, both those who had formerly been in confinement were delivered up to their creditors, and others also were taken into custody. When this happened to be the cast of Ney of the Auditors, he appealed to the other consul, a crowd gathered about Servilius, reminded him of his promises, upbraided him with their services in war, and the scars which they had received, insisted that he should lay the affair before the Senate, and that as consul he should support his countrymen, and as general his soldiers. The consul was affected by these remonstrances, but circumstances obliged him to decline interfering, not only his colleague, but the whole faction of the nobles, having gone so violently into opposite measures. By thus acting a middle part, he neither avoided the hatred of the commons, nor procured the esteem of the patricians, the latter, considering him as destitute of the firmness becoming his office, and as too fond of popular applause, while the former looked upon him as a deceiver, and it shortly appeared that he was to become no less odious than Appius. A contest happened between the consuls, as to which of them should dedicate the Temple of Mercury. The Senate refused to decide the matter, and referred it to the people, passing a vote that, to whichever of them the dedication should be granted, the same should preside over the markets, should institute a college of merchants, and join the pontiff in the performance of the ceremonies usual on such occasions the people gave the honour of the dedication to Marcus Detorius, a centurion of the first rank, showing plainly that they acted thus, not merely out of respect to the person on whom they conferred an office of higher dignity than became his station, but with design to affront the consuls. This threw the patricians, and one of the consuls particularly, into a rage, but the commons had now assumed a greater degree of courage, and began to prosecute the measures in a very different method from that in which they had set out. Having given up all hope of protection from the consuls and the senate, whenever they saw a debtor led to the court, they flew together from all quarters, so that neither could the sentence of the consul be heard amidst their noise and clamours, nor, when it was pronounced, did any one obey it. All was managed by force, and the whole dread and danger, with respect to their freedom, was transferred from the debtors to the creditors, who, standing single, were abused by the multitude, under the very eye of the consul. To add to the perplexity of the Senate, the alarm was spread of an attack being intended by the Sabines, and orders being issued for levying troops. Not a man gave in his name. Meanwhile Appius, in a rage, inveighed bitterly against the criminal lenity of his colleague, saying that by his popular silence he was betraying the commonwealth, and that besides refusing to enforce the laws with respect to creditors, he neglected also to execute the decree of the Senate for levying troops. He declared that the interest of the State was not yet entirely deserted, nor the consular office yet stripped of its authority, that he himself would stand forth singly and vindicate his own dignity and that of the State. Though surrounded by the multitude which assembled daily, and were of a temper too violent to be controlled, he ordered one of the principal ringleaders of the mob to be apprehended. When the lictors laid hold of him he appealed, but the consul would not at first allow the appeal, there being no doubt what the sentence of the people would be. His obstinacy, however, was at length overcome, more by the advice and influence of the nobility than by the clamours of the people. So firmly did he withstand the indignation of the multitude. From this time the evil daily gained ground, showing itself not only in open expressions of discontent, but what was much more pernicious in secret meetings and private cabals. At length these consuls, so odious to the people, went out of office, Appius, in high favor with the patricians, servilius with neither party. Next entered on the consulship Aulus Virginius and Titus Vetusius. The people now, not being able to judge what sort of consuls they were to have, took care to form nightly meetings, some on the Esquiline, others on the Aventine Mount, in order that their proceedings might not be confused by their being obliged to adopt measures hastily in the forum, and to act on every occasion at random and without a plan. The consuls, considering this as a very dangerous proceeding, which it really was, proceeded to the consideration of the Senate, but were not allowed, after proposing it, to take the votes regularly, a great tumult arising on the mention of it among the senators, who exclaimed and expressed the highest indignation at the consul's attempting to throw on that body the odium of an affair which ought to have been quelled by the consular authority. They told them that, if there really had been magistrates in the commonwealth, there would have been no council at Rome but the public one. At present the government was divided and dispersed into a thousand senate-houses and assemblies, some meetings being held on the Esquiline Mount, others on the Aventine. That they had no doubt but one man, such as Appius Claudius, would have dispersed these meetings in a moment's time. The consuls, on receiving this rebuke, asked the Senate what, then, they would have them do, for they were resolved, they said, to act with the activity and vigour which the Senate might recommend. A decree then passed that they should enforce the levies with utmost strictness, for that the commons were grown insolent through want of employment. Dismissing the Senate, the consuls mounted the tribunal, and cited the younger citizens by their name. No answer being made, the multitude which stood round, like a general assembly, declared that the commons could be no longer deceived, and that not a single soldier should be raised, until the public engagements were fulfilled. That every man must have his liberty restored, before arms were put into his hands, that the people might be convinced they were to fight for their country and fellow-citizens, not for their masters. The consuls saw clearly enough what the Senate expected from them, but of those who spoke with the greatest vehemence within the walls of the Senate-house, not one was present to stand the brunt of the contests, and everything threatened a desperate one with the commons. It was resolved, therefore, before they should proceed to extremities, to consult the Senate again, the consequence of which was, that all the younger senators rushed up hastily to the seats of the consuls, desiring them to abdicate the consulship, and lay down a command which they wanted spirit to support. Having made sufficient trial of the dispositions of both sides, the consuls at length spoke out, "'Conscript fathers, lest ye should hereafter say that ye were not forewarned, know that a dangerous sedition is ready to break out. We demand that those who are the most forward to censure us for inactivity may assist us by their presence, while we hold the levy. We will proceed in the business in such a manner as shall be approved by the most strenuous advocates for vigorous measures, since such is your pleasure. They then went back to the tribunal, and ordered, purposely, one of those who were within view to be cited. finding that he stood mute, and that a number of people had formed in a circle round him, to prevent any force being used. The consuls sent a lictor to him, who, being driven back, those of the senators who attended the councils, exclaimed against the insolence of such behavior, flew down from the tribunal to assist the lictor. The populace, then, quitting the lictor, to whom they had offered no other direction than that of hindering him from making the seizure, directed their force against the senators. But the consuls, interposing quickly, put an end to the scuffle, in which, as neither stones nor weapons had been used, there was more clamor and rage than mischief. The Senate, called tumultuously together, proceeded in a manner still more tumultuous, those who had been beaten, demanding an inquiry into the affair, and the most violent of them endeavoring to carry their point by clamor and noise, rather than by vote. At length, when their rage had somewhat subsided, the consuls, reproaching them with being equally disorderly in the Senate House as in the Forum, began to collect the votes. There were three different opinions Publius Virginius thought that the case did not extend to the whole body of the commons, and that those only were to be considered, who, relying on the promises of the consul Publius Servilius, had served in the Volscian, Aruncian, and Sabine wars. Titus Largius was of opinion that the present juncture required something more than the making of return for services performed, that the whole body of the commons were overwhelmed with debt, nor could the progress of evil be stopped, "'unless the advantages of the whole were attended to. "'On the contrary, if distinctions were made, "'this would add fuel to the dissensions "'instead of extinguishing them. "'Appius Claudius, whose temper was naturally harsh, "'was roused to a degree of ferocity "'by his hatred to the commons on the one hand, "'and the applause of the patricians on the other, "'affirmed that all these disturbances were excited, "'not by the people's sufferings, but their licentiousness, "'and that the commons were actuated by a spirit of wantonness, rather than by resentment of injuries. This was the consequence of giving them a right to appeal, for all that a consul could do was to threaten. He could not command, when people are allowed to appeal to those who have been accomplices in their transgressions. Come, said he, let us create a dictator, from whom there is no appeal. This madness which has set the whole state in a flame will quickly sink into silence. Let me see, then, who will strike a lictor, when he knows that the very person whose dignity he insults has the sole and entire disposal of his person and of his life. To many, the expedient recommended by Appius appeared too rough and violent, and justly so. On the other hand, the propositions of Virginius and Largius were considered as tending to establish a bad precedent, particularly that of Largius, which was utterly subversive of all credit. The advice of Virginius was deemed to be the farthest from excess on either side, and a just medium between the other two. But through the spirit of faction, and men's regard to their private interests, things which ever did and ever will impede the public councils, Appius prevailed, and was himself very near being created dictator, which proceeding beyond any other, would have highly disgusted the commons at a very critical juncture, when the Volscians, the Equians, and the Sabines happened to be all in arms at the same time. But the consuls and the elder part of the senate took care that a command— in itself uncontrollable, should be entrusted to a person of a mild disposition, and accordingly they chose for dictator Manius Valerius, son of Velusus. Although the commons saw that the dictator was created in opposition to them, yet, as by his brother's law, they enjoyed the privilege of appeal, they dreaded nothing harsh or overbearing from that family. Their hopes were farther encouraged by an edict which the dictator published, of the same tenor in general with the edict of the consul Servilius. But as they thought that they had now securer grounds of confidence, both in the man himself and in the power with which he was invested, they desisted from the contest, and gave in their names. Ten legions were completed, a force greater than had ever been raised before. Of these, three were assigned to each of the consuls, the other four were commanded by the dictator. War could now be no longer deferred, the equians had invaded the territories of the latines, and these by their ambassadors petitioned the senate that they would either send troops to protect them or permit them to take arms themselves to defend their frontiers. It was judged the safer method to defend the latines without their own assistance than to allow them to handle arms again. The consul Vetusius was therefore sent thither, who put an end to the depredations. The equians retired from the plains and provided for their safety on the tops of the mountains relying more on the situation than on their arms. The other consul who marched against the Volskians, not choosing that his time should be wasted in like manner, used every means, particularly by ravaging the country, in order to provoke the enemy to approach nearer, and to hazard an engagement. They were drawn up in order of battle in a plain between the two camps, each party before their own rampart. The Volskians had considerably the advantage in point of numbers, They therefore advanced to the fight in a careless manner, as if despising the enemy. The Roman consul did not suffer his troops to move, nor to return the shout, but ordered them to stand with their javelins fixed in the ground, and as soon as the enemy should come within reach, then to exert at once their utmost efforts, and decide the affair with their swords. The Volscians, fatigued with running and shouting, rushed upon the Romans, whom they believed to be benumbed with fear, but when they found a vigorous resistance, and the swords glittering before their eyes, struck with consternation, just as if they had fallen into an ambuscade. They turned their backs, nor had they strength left to enable them to make their escape, having exhausted it by advancing to the battle in full speed. The Romans, on the other hand, having stood quiet during the first part of the engagement, had their vigor fresh, and easily overtaking the wearied fugitives, took their camp by assault, and pursuing them, as they fled from thence to Velitrae, the victors and the vanquished, composing, as it were, but one body, rushed into the city together. People of every kind were put to the sword without distinction, and there was more blood spilt than even in the fight. A small number only who threw down their arms obtained quarter. While these things passed in the country of the Volskians, the Sabines, who were by far the most formidable enemy, were routed, put to flight, and beaten out of their camp by the dictator. He had at first, by a charge of his cavalry, thrown the center of the enemy's line into disorder, which, while they extended their wings too far, had not been sufficiently strengthened by a proper depth of files. Before they could recover from this confusion, the infantry fell upon them and continued their attack, without intermission, until they made themselves masters of their camp, and put a conclusion to the war. Since the battle at the Lake Regulus, there had not been obtained in those times a more glorious victory than this. The dictator entered the city in triumph and besides the accustomed honours, there was a place in the circus assigned to him and his posterity, for a seat, and a curule chair fixed in it. From the vanquished Volscians, the lands of the district of Velitrae were taken, for which inhabitants were sent from the city, and a colony established there. Soon after this a battle was fought with the Equians, against the inclination indeed of the consul, who considered the disadvantage of the ground which the troops had to traverse, but the soldiers, accusing him of protracting the business, in order that the dictator might go out of office before they should return to the city, and so his promises fall to the ground without effect, as had those of the former consul, they at length prevailed on him to march up his army, at all hazards, against the steep of the mountain. Rash as this undertaking was, yet through the cowardice of the enemy it was crowned with success, for before a weapon could be drawn, struck with amazement at the boldness of the Romans, they abandoned their camp, which they had fixed in a very strong position, and ran down precipitately into the valleys, on the opposite side. There the Romans gained a bloodless victory, and an abundance of booty. Though their arms were thus attended with success in three different quarters, neither patricians nor commons were free from anxiety respecting the issue of their domestic affairs. With such powerful influence, and with such art also, had the lenders of money concerted their measures, that they were able to disappoint not only the commons, but even the dictator himself. For Valerius, on the return of the council of took care that the first business which came before the Senate should be that of the people, who had returned home victorious, and proposed the question, what did they think proper to be done with respect to the persons confined for debt? And when they refused to take the matter into consideration, he said, My endeavours to restore Concord are, I see, displeasing to you, Believe me when I solemnly declare that the time will shortly come when you will wish that the commons of Rome had just such patrons as I am. As to myself, I will neither be the means of farther disappointments to the hopes of my countrymen, nor will I hold the office of dictator without effect. Intestine discord and foreign wars made it necessary for the commonwealth to have such a magistrate. Peace has been procured abroad. At home it is not suffered to take place. It is my determination, then, in time of sedition, to appear in the character of a private citizen, rather than that of dictator. Then, withdrawing from the Senate House, he abdicated the dictatorship. The case appeared to the Commons as if he had resigned his office out of resentment of the treatment shown to them, and therefore as if he had fulfilled his engagements. It not having been his fault that they were not fulfilled, they attended him, as he retired to his house, with approbation and applause. End of Book Two, Part Five